and welcome to Kohler Commentary. Today, I'm joined by Jeannie Chang, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, founder of Your Change Provider, where she spearheaded her cultural confidence program, an international best-selling author and accomplished global speaker on topics such as burnout, resilience, mindfulness, stress, and mental health conditions. There are so many more amazing things Jeannie leads for her community and her work, but what caught my eye was her social media platform. In 2021, Jeannie launched her own YouTube channel, Nuna's Nunchi, where she does deep dives into Korean dramas from a mental health perspective, creating such a unique and powerful community. For her own self-care, Jeannie loves watching Korean dramas and kayaking with her husband of 24 years. She also relishes any time she can to spend with her four kids, ages 15 to 21. Oh my goodness. Jeannie's life is incredible and I only touch the surface of her journey, so I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today to learn more about her path and how it led her here today and what wisdom she has ready to drop on the mic. So without further ado, welcome Jeannie. Yay, thanks so much. That was I it's that wasn't that uncomfortable. Usually when I hear an intro, I'm like, oh, <laughs> thank you for making it good fun. I still have so many things that I need to include about all the things you have accomplished. And it's like I was like so amazed reading through everything you've done. So I can't wait to learn more as we talk. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate you making time. And actually the first place you and I well, I don't know if we connected, but the first time I actually saw you was like I've mentioned many times on this podcast, Mustard Seed Generation, shout out to them. And Jeannie was actually a speaker for one of our webinar like series. And she was speaking, I think you were for the teen, were you for the teen one? I think I was talking about creating family. American families. Yes, and, yes, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I really liked your session there. And then later, as I would scroll through Instagram, I saw Nuna's Nunchi there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've seen her face. And then that immediate connection made me really excited and then learning more about that unique perspective that you've kind of created through this community was really cool and I, I had never seen that before but it made so much sense and so that's obviously like a big part of why I wanted you to come on here but before we get into that I wanted to give you this time to just introduce yourself who is Jeannie Chang as a young girl and how you kind of got to your journey where you are today. Okay, so let's go way back. No, I'm kidding. Um, so as a second generation Korean American, and I, I put that in there because I speak so much about identity with my clients and even speak on it with workshops. So it's important to indicate that. Now people would think, let's talk about second generation. They hear that they assume I'm born in the US or, you know, because this, this is where I live. But I was actually born in Seoul. Okay. But I say second generation because I came when I was a baby. So pretty much, you know, my entire life raised here in the US. So second generation Korean American and think about it, the, the typical thing that we were hyphenated, right? Korean American. So there's bicultural identity. So I struggled a lot growing up with the meaning of the Korean part of it. In fact, at one point, I'll just tell you, I, growing up, I was like, why can't I start with the American? American Korean. Why, why are we called Korean Americans? And I'm joking about that, but it makes sense to me now, which yeah. is why I have Nunas Nunchi. But growing up and I grew in a very white suburban town, wonderful place to live. But when you're the lone Asian or when you stand out and everybody has blonde hair, blue eyes, and they're tall, like six feet, you're like five feet petite. And you're like, yeah, I stand out like a sore thumb. Now, no one made me necessarily feel bad. But now that I think back, there were just things that would, they would minor, like minor microaggressions. I would say, first of all, there's no such thing as minor, but just microaggressions, they would say that they don't mean to be mean, but they'd say it because they really did see my, me as foreign or Right. Oh, you're living here. Oh, oh my gosh. What's this like? So growing up was a little tough. 
in essence. And that's why it led me to do what I'm doing today. But fast forward a little bit, I was going to be a journalist. I was like, I'm going to be the number one Asian American anchor, told my parents that. So even though uh, technically they wanted the typical, think about the typical careers. Oh, and my father happens to be a retired doctor now, but he was a doctor. So he's (laughs) like, okay, so no med school, no law school. I was like, no, but I'm going to be a journalist and I'm going to be on television and be the number one. They were like, they, they supported that actually. And so, yeah, I went all the way. I even started as a journalist, but at the ripe old age of 24, um, and I, and I joke about that. I was struggling from something that is now that we know the term as burnout, mm-hmm. but back, and this is me dating myself in the nineties, there was no term for that. It wasn't. And think about it as also growing up Asian American mental health was barely talked about for me. And so when you're growing up in the eighties and nineties, and then when I was in the nineties working, I struggled because I was like, why am I not feeling good? I love what I do technically, but outside of work, I felt lost. So I did something, what I think is very progressive, which tells you a little bit why I'm doing what I'm doing. I decided to leave the career. Yeah. I would say I did something unconventional. That's probably the word. And I remembered having to tell my parents, now they were not upset. They were a little like, what are you going to do? And I went, oh, I got to look good. You know, (laughs) as an Asian, got to look good. So I said, I'm going to business school. Now I'm going to tell you guys now, it was not part of my plan to ever go to business school. And I'll tell you, I suffered through business school because I disliked it. I chose to go because I wanted to look good. And at the time I was like, I'm not going to med school. That's going to take me forever. I'm not going to go to law school. Definitely. Right. And I was thinking all this stuff, what's practical, what business school is okay. Go for the MBA. So I did get it and I did finish, but it took me some time because during that time I did not, as you mentioned, I have four kids. I didn't slow my, oh my, my family life down. Yeah. So I started off with no kids. But then I think I had three by the time I graduated from business school. Oh I had been very goodness. close in age. By the time I was 30, I had three kids under the age of three at one point. Three, two, and I don't recommend that, guys. Yeah, <laughs> that, just, that just happened. But I'm, I'm glad I had them close together now that I think back, right? But it was after business school that I was, and this is why I help with young folks to this, to this day, I, I was asking myself, oh my gosh, I'm fairly young. I cannot be doing a marketing career for the rest of my life when I dislike it. Mm. And I wasn't passionate about it. And I remember thinking I was good at journalism. That's what I did, but I left it in burnout and we can expand on that. And then going to business school and then marketing four young kids, six and a half and under, I went, I want to do something that means something, you know? So I took about three or four years to think about it. So during that time, raising my kids, which I'm so thankful I did, I always tell stay-at-home moms, hey, I wish I could go back to that. You know, Mm. I love what I'm doing, but I enjoyed my work as a mom. That was a full-time job, full-time mom. And I thought about it and I even prayed about it and I woke up and this is really how it is. I woke up at two in the morning and that's how dramatic it was. I stood up in bed, of course, everyone's sleeping and I went to myself and I went, wait a second, I'm going to go into counseling. But not just counseling. The word that came to mind was therapy. There is a difference. I went into the clinical side of things. Maybe it was my medical doctor, father upbringing. I really liked the clinical part of therapy, understanding depression, anxiety, honestly, suicide, what that looks like from a clinical lens. 
So, and I wanted to treat it like that. So I, that's what came to mind two in the morning. You are going to become a marriage and family therapist. I kid you not. That's what happened. Cause I prayed about it. Right. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. How old and how old were you at? Was it at okay. But at this time I was gosh, uh, 33, 34. Oh, okay. Yeah. Planning for so, the next career change. Yeah. So technically wow. I share it with people. I am in my third career, third and mm. final blessed though, because here's why when I, I went into graduate school and this time graduate school, because it's my second time go around, it was much more of a wonderful experience because I'm doing mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. Yeah. I was eating everything up in class. So maybe I was like that uh, teacher's pet. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> by then I was a little bit older, you know, cause I, I was working with 20 year olds and or 23 year olds and I was 33, right. A little bit older. So I had that motherhood experience. So a lot of folks saw me as the therapist counselor in school. So I enjoyed mm-hmm. practicing on my fellow student friends, but Because by then I was a mom, you know, married for some time, having some life experience and career experience, it really helped me be a more empathetic, compassionate therapist. And so Mm -hmm. when I launched my career, I started in primary care and I thought it was funny going, Hey, it's interesting. I'm working with doctors because I grew up with a family of doctors, not just my dad, a family of doctors. Oh my goodness. It really helped me because I understood their lens Yeah. Um, and they weren't, they're not always empathetic. Just saying. Yeah. And and then here comes the therapist, Asian American therapist, Mm -hmm. which I think brought a different angle because I think the clientele or patients that I started getting slowly became Asian American or people of color. And so we'll talk about that. And then fast forward now, I have my own private practice in the state of North Carolina, but it's a global practice because as you shared, I'm not just a clinician. I became a global speaker and I really believe that was that came naturally as people realized Jeannie actually can speak. <laughs> yeah. Laugh. But not everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. But that stems from my journalism career and and talent, I guess, because I started there. And then Going to business school, I understand corporate America or I understand corporations and businesses because I have that language and some experience behind me. So that's what I'm doing today. So I I would say it's a very multidisciplinary practice. And then we'll stop there because I'll tell you a little bit about Nunez Nunchi, but that's my career path in mental health and how I came to do what I'm doing. I think that's so encouraging just to know that that wasn't even what you wanted to start off with. And even greater respect that this is what you decided to do after four kids. Like I'm only, so I'm expecting number two and I'm already like, how do, how do I juggle this? But then like, it's crazy. Like when I read four kids, that was like, oh my gosh, that was the most amazing accomplishment of all the accomplishments I was reading about you. And the fact that you then transitioned after that is such an encouraging testament to, I think so many moms or so many people who are looking to transition later. Right. And so I'm so glad you have that piece to share. Um, But yes. And then after all of this, right, you start your practice or you start your work within mental health and years later, but you go into Nunes Nunchi too. So you can kind of share all of that. I will. I will. And, um, and Nunes Nunchi came at the height of the pandemic. So let's talk about the pandemic in 2020, March, 2020. I was even thankful that I was doing what I was doing because that's, that solidified, I guess, my passion and purpose. Meaning when Mm. the pandemic happened, no one wants the pandemic happen. Of course I didn't want that to happen, but when it happened, when I had launched my private practice three years prior, I was ready to help with the API community or the Asian community and Asian families, um, not just globally, but locally, but everywhere. And then organizations that reached out to me saying, we need to talk about mental health because we're in a state of crisis. That's when I went, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful 
that I built this in time for yeah. the pandemic. It just happened. But Nunas Nunchi came about. Um, it was brewing. Let me tell you, starting in like 2017. Oh yeah, that's when I launched my practice. Right around that, I was like, you know what? I got to use Korean dramas because they are, first of all, the reason why people know my passion on this is because they help me mm-hmm. with my mental health. So if it started from me, of course, it can grow into a passion because I already know how it helps. And it was helping me understand my identity. And early on, even before I became a therapist, I loved K-dramas, right? Who, who doesn't? Sorry. If you don't, then you'll start watching them through me. But <laughs> 2017 and 2018 is when I started bringing them into my work by mistake. Just naturally when, when I was working with families and Asian students, I went, you know what, here's an example. And I literally went, anybody watch Korean dramas? Mm. Of course, most of the class raised their hand or family members would go, yeah. I was like, oh, they just lit up right now. They look very interested. I just caught their attention because it became not just therapy, if that makes sense. It became a little bit different. So I went, let's talk about, and of course, the first couple ones I talked about was Apply 1988 Mm. and Boys Over Flowers, believe it or not, just because everyone had watched those. But that's how Nunez Nunchi came about because I knew that I was onto something. As we were in the pandemic, people were grappling for some escapism and just something fun, but also me using K-dramas. I don't just talk about it for fun. I'm saying, hey, remember that scene between this mom and son and the mom's bawling, but you don't see the mom bawling till three scenes later only the viewers see it. I would bring this stuff up and you have like adolescent and even young adults and college students and parents going, yes, what do you mean by that? And then I would just point things out, right? From a mental health lens that perhaps they missed or they didn't see. And that's when it became Nunez Nunchi. But with the college students at the time I was working with, they were like, oh, you need to put all this on a YouTube. And I was like, um, so I have college students my college kids in my household. Uh, I'm not a YouTuber. You know what I mean? I was like, I'm a mom. I mean, I remember joking about it. They're like, no, Jeannie. They they were like, this is good content. You just got to save it on YouTube. So I I heeded their advice and I went, you know what? Let me listen to them because I had so much stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I did create that YouTube at the height of the pandemic and I launched it in 2021. And Nunez Nunchi, people ask me, how'd you get the name? And I just, I bring that up. Well, first of all, I will talk about Nunchi, but I love Nunchi as a Mm -hmm. Korean American not a lot of people say that because they're like, oh, nunchi, yeah, grow it. No, but I grew up knowing that I had some nunchi and yeah. it worked for me. It helped me understand people and even my parents and even myself. So that had to be in there. Yeah. Plus, I'm looking at it from a critical lens when I'm watching these K-dramas going, okay, let me nunchi into that. Yeah. Right? Well, even when you started, you nunchi the reactions of your listeners. I was like, it just makes exactly. sense. It yeah. makes sense, right? And then uh, Nuna, of course, it just uh, honestly became more of a play on words. Yeah, yeah. What goes well is nunchi. I am a Nuna as in anybody can be a Nuna if you're yeah. you know, an older sister, quote unquote. I'll tell you really what it came about. I It made sense with Nuna's nunchi. It sounded mm-hmm. good. Yep. But honestly, growing up, because I grew up with a sister, younger sister, I was an unmi, which is mm-hmm. older sister in Korean to a, a little, a younger girl, I wanted to be a Nuna. Like I was telling my parents, why didn't you have a boy? Like, you know, <laughs> they're like, so I could be a Nuna. My mom was like, no, we're done with two. Right. <laughs> so I always did kind of innately want to have the Nuna word and no one called me that. So I was like, fine. I like it. Now I'm Nuna's Nunchi and yeah. now everybody can call me that. So <laughs> that's how it came about. Oh my goodness. That's amazing that, well, also you look so young. So when I had four kids and uh, 24 years of marriage, I was so amazed. And I think even just like 
tech is so hard to figure out. And so I'm so glad you were able to create the YouTube platform. I think like even even me, I get so confused with all of these stuff. And like, oh. I'm so scared to do like. I'm still scared. No, I'm still confused. Am- and I'll like your like, graphics are so good. <laughs> so I'm so oh, well, I get someone to do that. So yes, I do and then have a delegation that- with all your yes. MBA. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. And so, I think yes, the uh-huh. YouTube is not too hard to figure out. But thank you for that. You know what? Let's just say K-Beauty helps look young mm. um but yes i know I'm, I'm approaching 50. that's amazing mm. yeah so we went over what it what the meaning of nunas nunchi is and i'm curious like as you started the beginning stages what were those roadblocks or mental barriers even as you approached a new field within mental health because it it is very unique but that could also mean there's not much out there besides like you are kind of the pioneer of creating a lot of this work what was right. that like for you and then also just seeing the response to all of this? Oh, such a good question. Yes. Let's not deny that being, first of all, being Asian American in a field of psychology is, I want to say it's less unusual now or less uncommon now, but still uncommon, you know, because even now I still have to work with expert psychologists that are all white and they stare at me, you know, and then, you know, you you know how you said, yes, it's a blessing to look younger, Mm. but sometimes it doesn't come in handy. Yeah, you're right, you're right. When I have like 65, 70-year-old people looking at me and I'm like, all right, maybe I should say my age. Yeah. Take me seriously. But those are some of the roadblocks, just being an Asian American in this field. Then there are a lot of terms in the psychology field that don't relate to people of color or Asian Americans. And I had to kind of bring that in. And a lot of us had to bring that in as API clinicians. So for the first time, we're bringing in things like, well, you know, racism, but even say things like that, or saying second gen, first generation, that is people are like, what do you, what, what, what do you mean? And then even acculturation or immigration, people know those words, but I had to bring them into families and kind of reframe those terms according to what worked for the Asian population or people of color. And I'm bringing that up because that to me, it was huge to use that in therapy to help folks understand that being an immigrant or the fact that they had this difficult immigrant experience that they don't think is difficult is affecting them today in their parenting, right? If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp, the sponsor of this episode, is here for you. BetterHelp offers a broad range of over 20,000 licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Plus, you can get 10% off your first month with my code, betterhelp.com slash Kohler. With BetterHelp, you can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience, and all you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs before getting matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. As a mom constantly working around Jaden's toddler schedule, having my weekly therapy online has been a complete game changer and a huge reason why I have made big steps to better my mental health for myself and for my family. You can also request a new therapist anytime at no additional charge. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Don't forget to use my code to get that 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Kohler. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Kohler. So that was kind of, and I wouldn't say roadblocks, but just things I had to navigate that no one else did in the beginning. And then another thing was, honestly, we're talking mental health stigma 
mental illness, which are two different things. So you just say that word and you see the Asian population go, what? Right. And that's to this day still there much better. And we're kind of moving in the right direction, but no, I would sit there talking and yes, I would have to get used to that silence and that wall. And even though they come, some Asians would come to me for therapy and then I'd be like, so why are you here? Because I would hear, I would sense they don't want to hear anything. They would get actually riled up when I said, when I talked about depression or I said some, but you have some anxious symptoms. They're like, what? I'm not anxious. And I went, so then I asked questions like, so what, what brings you to therapy? Why are you here? They're like, oh, I was made to come here. Or someone just said that this would help me. And I go, well, I need you to just be a little bit more open-minded. So I remember early on, I'd have to say things like for me to help you, because that's what I want to do to make you feel better. Then I would re, I would say I would reframe words instead of saying anxious. Sometimes I'd be like, you know, it just seems like you're a little worried, you know? So those are the words I've, I've, I've kind of gotten really, it's like code switching. I've gotten really good at doing that right. to work with this population, but stigma is probably the biggest thing. And on, honestly, lack of psychoeducation, which yeah. is just my field. A lot of us as, as I want to say, as brilliant as folks that I would work with in the professional setting, they would still know very little about mental health and assume it was this thing that was like abstract that they would you know, go, oh, oh, that's not for me. And I'd be like, well, do you get stressed? They're like, yes, I'm a busy executive. Of course I get stressed. I go, well, then that's mental health. You know, you know what I mean? They're yes. like, what? I go, yes, you're not, there's nothing wrong with you to say this word. So I had to do a lot of that education even now. So even, would it be roadblock? Because it wasn't blocking me, but what's a good word for it? It'd be like speed bumps. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's slow down and go, okay, yeah. I'd be like, let me not go too fast because it's going to hurt my car kind of thing or hurt my brain. So that would be a lot of what I had to navigate to. And even now, I've, I'm so used to getting that angst that I would feel from people saying, Jeannie, we need you to speak on mental health. And then I would go there and, and, and kind of prep them saying, this is what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, that's mental health. And I'd be like, yes. And I would get these looks like, because don't forget what I'm doing is also working in organizations yeah. and speaking to mass population where they're like, did Jeannie just say uh, depression? in this corporate workshop and you, I will not, um, cause my whole job is to navigate through that stigma and normalize it. So I'll use words like depression or suicidal ideation. There was no triggering words are like, what, what did she talk about that? But we're also not, we're also human at the end of the day, we experience those symptoms. Not everybody, not everybody will have suicidal ideation, obviously. Right. Or yeah. even depression, but still I'll bring that up in a workplace because it affects people in the workplace. And so th things like that, you know, just getting, I'm much better now with these looks that people would give me, this stone cold look that you get from ah. Asian Americans, but also even executives that are not non-Asian, yeah. they'd be like, who's this little girl? Because before, you know, when I was in person, a right. lot, I'm, I'm five feet tall now, I will wear heels, right? Mm -hmm. So five, three, five, four, but still they're like, yeah, who's this little girl talking about? And, and I have a very direct voice as you can hear. So I'm saying things like, let's talk about stigma. And they're like, did this girl just talk about stigma? We don't have stigma. That's another thing. There's a lot of denial going, no, 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 yeah. we're open. And I'm like, I don't think you are, you know? And so I'll have to get very bold to say things like that. How do you like talk with such confidence and like, like kind of what you shared at the beginning stages of your career with burnout. So I think that early experience definitely helped prep you for, because you do a lot of stuff. Um, you're involved in a lot of and just amazing and then you you go to these places where there might be faces without the reaction that maybe someone would want initially right so mm -hmm. like whether it's burnout or imposter syndrome or things like mm -hmm. that like how do you speak so confidently which is part of I think the skill that you have but then also end it 
feeling that same like assurance, even if you didn't sure. receive it in the, in the crowd. Yeah. First of all, I struggle with imposter syndrome myself. We all uh, do. We're human. Yeah. So I make that clear. I try to be authentic. So as Jeannie Chang, you know, as mom of four and wife and everything, that's who I am at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. That's my, that's a big part of me. I also want to bring out some of that authenticity of what I experienced growing up, because I think that's important for people to connect with you. I don't want to, I don't want to be seen as, as this super expert that people are like, oh, what she says is too far-fetched for me. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. I have to relate it to me to relate to them. So that's super important to seem relatable. So I make sure I share personal stories, but also stories of folks that I work with, you know, keeping things confidential, but saying things like, for example, this is what looks like that's happening in the workplace. And I have gotten good, maybe because I started my career as a journalist. Journalism, mm. it's not easy. And so I, you get, you have to have some thick skin. Yeah. I have developed that thick skin, but each time I have to kind of do my own mindfulness techniques going, okay, did they just kind of gave me um, a very degrading stare or mm. condescending look or the skepticism, like, you know, the wrinkle of the brow going, what is she talking about? And I will see all of that even as I'm talking and I'm trying to be animated. But I do think I do have a natural gift. My voice is pretty loud. <laughs> so I can project it and that can come across very confident, even though inside I am quivering. So that is the journalism skill that I've had where I have this voice, broadcasting voice. But meanwhile, people won't know that inside and my knees are buckling and they're like, I know they can't see that, but I can feel it going, okay, obviously... I got this really cold, hard stare and people will ask questions going, you know, I've gotten some bold questions of like, so, okay, so what you're saying is everything's about mental health. I go, well, I'm not saying everything, but mental health is intertwined in all our experiences. And then I have to kind of defend what I'm saying and not sound defensive. Right. right. So again, I use my voice to do that, but that is a skill that I really will say, that's why I probably became a journalist. Yeah. And yes, I do know about burnout. I use all my own personal experiences to delve into my work to come across also as well as an expert, but like I said, relatable. I got to know what I'm talking about. And so that also comes from a personal lens going, Jeannie Chang does know what you're talking about because I experienced it even at 24. Yeah. And that's why I think when I say that I was unconventional to leave the career, I chose to follow my mental health. That is at the end of the day, when I tell people, why did I leave a really good career? This is not to brag. I was doing well. Yeah. Just got promoted. People wanted what I was doing as an entertainment reporter. I was doing pretty good at a young age, but I decided I'm going to choose my well-being. It doesn't make sense to be this unhappy. Yeah. I can't live like this. Yeah. And that's the choice I make. And that is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Oh, that's, yeah, that is so unconventional to one, make career changes and then listen and the career changes being aligned to mental health reasons as that pushing factor. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, right now, like a question I do have is since you are second gen, um, as you identify, but you did come at a very young age. So your parents are very fresh off of like Korean culture. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like they lived here a little first and then started their family. Like it sounds like they were very supportive as you talked about career changes, but what did that look like growing up for you, especially in a predominantly white suburban area? They were supportive because I think by then I was a married woman when I was like, I'm okay, maybe almost married. So they kind of gave me that adulthood, but deep down, Obviously, I went right into going, oh, I'm going to business school because I sensed the pressure from that. Right, right, right. So the pressure, uh, and I don't know if you know that I wrote a memoir last year and you talked about the, mm -hmm. yeah. And I literally wanted to write it for the Asian American adolescents, like teens that I was working with and, and college students, because I saw their same issues 
that they were that they were struggling with in 2020 that I struggled with in 1990 without giving, you know, <laughs> and I did. And I was sitting there going, oh my gosh, you guys are having the same issues. Yeah. I would have helped for me to be writing uh, my book. Now the book that I wrote, and I'll talk about this is I did not want it to be a memoir. The publisher who is a wonderful woman, South Asian woman was like, Jeannie, this is a memoir. Just let's label it that way because you are very honest in the book and you're talking about your own experiences. You're not talking about being a therapist. You're talking about what it looked like for you and how now you use it to help people. I was like, you're right. The reason why I'm saying that is I didn't grow up probably a very typical Asian household. I didn't grow up expressing feelings. Mm -hmm. In fact, I didn't even know what they were, which is why when I was writing the book, I delved into my 14 year old self. That is why at one point I had a breaking point as a teenager. You are, we're human beings meant to express. And when you're a teenager, especially when all these things are happening, right? Hormones, puberty, you're also beginning to realize what it looks like in this world. I couldn't express that at all to my family. I want to make it clear, of course, loving parents, right? Yeah. Uh, and I knew that, you know how you know you're loved, but it wasn't expressed yeah. because that's the Asian way. And even now, I, I as, as a Korean American parent struggle because I grew up with that behavior of like, oh, we don't say I love you. We just show you, but you need to say it. So I'm getting, I'm tr- I work on that because I did heard it once or twice in my life to my parents. People are like, that's terrible. I go, no, that's part of the Asian culture. But I knew I was loved more than that, obviously. So growing up that way, the rigidness and the strictness of studies, it was all about academics. I happened to grow up in a house that, um, and it's very typical too, but still a very educated household. I will say I'm very blessed. My father and mother, my father's a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. So he graduated from Seoul National, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, yes. and and then my mom, Iwa, super good mm-hmm. school. They were very educated when they came here and then my dad started his residency. So I have that. And then I have the extended family, which I will share and not get into, super educated. So we have the standard in our, our family that's like, yeah, you don't go below a PhD or MD. <laughs> and, you know, and, and when you're growing up with that, knowing that you have brilliant cousins, and I will give kudos to my cousins. I grew up with some brilliant cousins, but growing up, you resent them. Right. You're like, oh, yeah, here goes my brilliant older cousin that they all talk about. <laughs> so I was resentful going, yeah, I'm an average Joe compared to her. Mm-hmm. But growing up, I realized now when I look back, I'm not average. I felt average because of what I had experienced in my family. So the family itself, I don't, I, this is sad. And people will, when I say this, people are like, that's so sad, Jeannie, but I'm not trying to be sad. I'm just being realistic. My childhood was not a child, the happy-go-lucky childhood. That is why I emphasize, even with my kids, I want them to enjoy childhood. Yeah. You're a child, for goodness sake. By the time you graduate from college, real life happens. So that's going to happen soon enough. But I remember feeling, even as like a seven or eight-year-old, a lot of angst, a lot of stress Mm -hmm. because of the pressure of my family and the pressure of the academics. And I was not allowed to go to a lot of parties and sleepovers, you know? And I think a lot of folks relate to that. And it wasn't until my senior year where my parents were like, all right, fine, you can go to your prom. But I think I had to beg, you know, where my younger sister had a very different, I will say. I broke my parents in as it happens with parents. And then you have your second kid who ends up doing a lot more. So she had a very different experience, but still we both talk about how it was still very strict. And and the funny thing is I use that now. I'm very proud of who I am. However, everything has to be balanced and the Korean and American values, they should be blended. My parents, of course, that's all they knew, the Korean values. So it was so much more emphasized that of course a child is going to resent that Koreanness. I was like, Okay, so you're going to be all Korean? 
that's why I don't like being Korean. Mm. And so a lot of my childhood was spent resenting the Korean part of my culture or my identity. Mm-hmm. Man, that's so good. Yeah. Th- shout out to my sister too, who broke my parents probably. For- <laughs> yes. <laughs> we break the older kids. Shout out guys. Yeah. Okay, you know, you, you're, you're the guinea pigs. <laughs> um, that's awesome to hear. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad like there were those steps where they were supportive the best that they could be as they were probably facing their own ways of breaking the trauma or the cycles that they experienced as well and starting yes. in a new country. Yes, um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, because yeah. I now I'm more empathetic because I'm a parent, but also I'm seeing years of experience and seeing their their experience that they did not share, right? Let's not right. forget. Parents, immigrant parents don't share their experiences. I know. They don't know what it looks like and they don't know that it's traumatic. That's my angle. So I should I should have shared this, that this make this makes me unique as a mental health clinician, that I am a second generation Korean American, but I'm generally most people's parents' age, but I can empathize with the younger folks because that was me yeah. and their experience. But I do empathize with their parents because I'm a parent. Yeah. You know? So I see the parenting angle. So I use, I always say that to folks. That's how I win them. I will go for I understand both your angles. No. As a mom, as a dad, whatever, but also as a child or as a 20-year-old, I get it. I was there. So then they're like, oh, I see. Okay, so Jeannie does get us, and that does help me connect. Yeah, that's such yeah. a unique angle you have. That, yeah, that that can like grab a lot of the older generations as well. Oh, yeah. so that's really cool thinking about the power you have there to connect in that way. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay, so as we continue forward, um, I'm curious what a typical day in the life looks like for you or maybe a day in the week or month or I don't know. Sure. Because you have, you're a part of so many different things. You have Nuna's Nunchi, which is a very specific community, but then you speak at all these engagements and you have like this corporate background that you can tap into and all these other practices like what does that look like and and how do you um keep track of that yeah it's I will say I've um I'm starting to expand which is always good so I I will have to get some more like somebody at least to help me with scheduling but yeah I would say a day in the life is um I do wear so many hats at this point that I, it's difficult to keep track of everything. Mm. But one of the things I think I'm gifted at is I'm a chameleon, so I could switch back and forth to being the social media influencer of Nunez Nunchi, which is fun, but also can be demanding, right? If you, as, as you grow a, a social media account or space, you have more followers that, that there's a demand, right, for content. Right. So there's that. But my day job of being a licensed therapist, my private practice and corporate speaking, that technically takes priority. I'll always prioritize that because obviously Nunez Nunchi is the social media part. However, I'll say that I have learned to reframe that after my career trip, which I got to talk about, where I realized Nunez Nunchi is invaluable that I'm starting to incorporate it into my corporate speaking because Korean dramas, K-dramas have become a global phenomenon. They have. Squid Game really helped with that, but yeah. even before that. It was growing. A lot of people in the in the pandemic started watching K dramas on Netflix, right? After Squid Game, it's now mainstream that I'll talk. I'll say a K drama quote, or I'll show a clip in a keynote or a presentation. That's really cool, and it has really taken off. So now I'm starting to combine Nunez Nunchi a little bit more. But generally speaking, my corporate speaking and clinical clients take precedence because that is my work. And obviously I get paid for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to prioritize that. And, um, and that's important. So I would say constantly, yes, no, between a given day, I wear many hats from Jeannie corporate speaker, Jeannie licensed therapist, yeah. Jeannie Nunez Nunchi, and then mom, the mom and wife. And I bring this up because that's very important for me to point out 
is always that ever present right. part of my identity where I will weave in and out of momhood, right? <laughs> and and wifehood. And that's important. And so when people say, oh, you're like this superstar career person, I go, yes, I can definitely manage a career now. My kids are a little older, right? But at the end of the day, what stresses me out the most is my own kids, my own family, because that's personal, right? So I could take care of all these clients that have trauma in their life. But at the end of the day, and this is not to sound callous, that is a job, right? My corporate speaking is a job. As passionate as I am about it, I have learned to separate it, but your family is your family. Mm-hmm. And that's the core of the work. Why is that important though I'm sharing? It's because that is when I speak in corporate America saying, hey, at the end of the day, you're a mom or you're an aunt or wife or daughter, that will affect your work. So don't try to be so much of like, oh, this. let me separate my personal life with per- professional life. How do you learn to um, balance both into the workplace? to not separate your identity, which actually causes some angst. And so the day in the life is busy. I will say I start my job, but here I always try to, you got to do my self-care, right? I love watching K-dramas. So my night usually ends, the evening ends with the K-drama, but that's how I end my day. And I I bring that up because that's real to me. But again, I have a balance. I cannot binge watch. Mm. Not in one day. I have binge watched before. Oh, trust me. I have binge watched, but I can't do more than one episode a night for the sake of my work. So I've learned to balance that. But yeah, um, the, the day gets busy. Usually starts with my my walking my dog. So we do have a dog. <laughs> Another child. Yeah, I know. I think when people have kids and then they have like animals or pets as well. Yeah. I'm like, why? Why would you guys do more? As I said, I, yeah, I was like, well, I just, ra- I'm, I just raised four kids. Now I have a fifth dog. But that just, it just, he just came into our life last year and it just was, timing. But yes, no, a dog is lovely and therapeutic, but they take a lot of work. But I will say I probably got a little better in shape because I'm walking. Right, right, right. There's, in like a hundred degree weather. Oh so my I'm gosh. like, okay, I'm dripping with sweat. I have to change before my next client, but at least I got to walk in and some steps. I feel like even as I was listening, so you're an Enneagram three, which is the achiever, which is very clear and evident through all the amazing it's things, yeah. but also like that skill to shape shift and go into like different areas, I think is definitely something that's helping you as you do all these different things and then com- compartmentalize to what's truly important within the family first. And I think that, yes. And I think that stemmed from early on. I will have some therapist uh, students that I mentor and stuff that will say, how do you separate that when you hear a very traumatic story that's horrible, right? There's some stories I hear horrible and then go back to your home life. And I go, I think that was a gift I was given early on that I'll hear something, then be able to move to the next client. Here's something more tragic, but be able to end the day being present in my family. That doesn't mean I'm always like the most present mom, right? but because of my personal life is enhanced, I make sure that I do fun things with my kids that helps distract a little bit of that stewing of those stories, yeah. you know? And yeah, and then Nunchi to be a chameleon. I'm gonna just point this out. The Nunchi helps me. Yeah. And it's not you don't have to be Korean to understand Nunchi, right? But Nunchi innately in our culture that's so hard to describe helps me do my job as well. Where I can keenly go, they just said they're fine. Oh, I'm fine, Jeannie. And then they're really good at convincing everybody else. And I'll be like, hmm, but something like my my mood, this feeling that I have is telling me you're not fine. And I'm able to be like, okay, but I, I sense something. So I'm just going to say it. I don't think you're fine at all. Something's going on, right? And then eventually it'll break, right? But I think that also helps me. The Nunchi helps me too. I Nunchi myself going, okay, Jeannie, you're not doing well. Take a break, mm-hmm. right? Um, don't do this. Say no. And that helps me too. To manage oh, that's good. Nunchi balance. yourself. 
I think that's huh, like, I do. yeah, like, I don't think we think to nunchi ourselves too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a good I, reminder. It's, an example would be somebody, I go, huh, I'm feeling a certain way. Why? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let me nunchi that and go, oh, this person made me uncomfortable. Maybe I don't work with this person. I'm just giving an example. I'll be like, I don't want, okay, something's telling me this isn't going well and I, this is not making me feel good. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So that, but again, I'm closer to 50. So it's like, by now you're like, whatever. You know, and and I tell this to folks, when you're younger, you do care a little bit more. So I don't, I keep that in mind when I'm, because I do work with all populations from adolescence, like 16 to like 70, you Mm -hmm. know? And so that has helped me be a chameleon to those generations. And that's important. I know you'd mentioned, I think it's so cool, like things like Squid Game or other global Netflix series and Korean dramas are helping bridge even your work together. So I know that's a part of Nuna Zunchi, but is there a hope you kind of envision for what will happen with Nuna Zunchi as it becomes bigger and, and you're reaching not just Koreans or Asian Americans, but you're re- reaching such a big group on the virtual community as well as yes. in person, I'm sure. Yes, thank you. I do have a hope for Nunes Nunchi. What what I'm hoping is what is happening, which is I'm seeing and hearing or reading because they DM me from the stories that people share with me naturally because I'm Nunes Nunchi and a therapist that K dramas have changed their life for the better. Now it's not always going to happen, right? You're going to get some K dramas for like Squid Game. No offense, love Squid Game is entertaining, but it's a little disturbing. Yeah. So I would tell people when I watch Squid Game, I would also make sure I was watching Hometown Cha 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 at the same time because I'd be like. I need a little bit of a, a, a reprieve, but I want to turn it into, I don't know, I'm already using it, but using it as a clinical tool, but really make it credible. So yeah. I'm going to keep making it go mean, mainstream. In fact, I'll just be honest. I used to separate Nunez Nunchi with my corporate persona. I would never even mention Nunez Nunchi or even K-dramas, but something along the way, something it's because of Squid Game and just it becoming global and K-pop and K-culture being so in the mainstream, I am starting to go, you know what, guys? You know, there's a great K-drama I recommend. And they're like looking at me like, and some of them don't even watch them. They're like, K-drama? I go, you know, you've seen them on Netflix, Squid Game. Everyone knows Squid Game. They're like, oh, that. I go, yeah, I'm not saying watch Squid Game. I go, watch this one. It's okay to not be okay or something like that, right? And I'll give an example more and more on a corporate talk as like a homework or something fun. And I think I'm becoming, I'm separating that persona more. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that it becomes more mainstream, that I can use it anywhere and everywhere and not just let it be about social media, you know, because that's also me. I'm Nunes Nunchi and I don't want to separate that too much, but I did that for a little bit, but now I'm not. And then I want to kind of compile all that data, which I'm doing to show, hey guys, because of my work and what I'm seeing through using K-dramas as a tool, it is helping people Mm. and, you know, and not have that look of people going, you're telling me to watch a K-drama? They're like, I go, hey, don't binge watch it. I want you to do your job. But yeah, I'm telling you, watch a K-drama. It'll help you. And yes, I would say 80% of the time they'll come back to me. The other 20% is just, you know, I would say unspecified. But the 80% of folks are like, oh my gosh, you got me hooked on this. I blame you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I go, now I get it. I'm like, now you get it. Because there are lovely stories in there. Yeah. Well, you Uh mentioned even like making sure you don't binge. And I don't watch a drama until it's now bingeable you know like and then you're like up all night and then it affects you the next day and then you're just emotional wreck from whatever yeah. emotions it like what are some of those boundaries that you share to people as they like they're like, oh my gosh Korean drama's mental health like I want to put it together but then with the caveat of like these in moderation or other things yes. like that yeah I made sure I post that when I'll and I'll joke in this like 
you know, uh, reels that I do, it's a dose of a K drama yeah. day. And I made sure I say that because and they're like, what's a dose though? Is that a season? I'm like, no, that's not a season. <laughs> it, it's a joke. People joke back to me going, he goes, Jeannie, right now my dose is a full season. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not going to work for you. A, a dose is like one episode and maybe like, because sometimes I'll watch one episode and you're like, what happened? Yeah. So I do watch like the first 10 minutes of the next one. I just can't wait sometimes if it's bingeable, right? If there's drama already completed. So then I'll say it's really no more than one episode. And one episode is a full hour because, you know, these K-dramas are long. That's a long time. Now, that's my recommendation, but I can't force you. But that's me saying that. The other thing that I've been really good about uh, saying is it is a trauma. So at the end of the day, a Korean drama is dramatic. So it's meant for entertainment purposes. So the things that you see, like Chebol, whatever, yeah. you know, CEOs driving up with Porsches and sweeping people off their feet. <laughs> that is meant to be dramatic because it grips us. Of course you want to see that, the Prince Charming. Mm -hmm. But yes, I said, hey, the reality is doesn't always look like that. And the reality is, that, but I always say the themes of K-dramas like love, hope, resilience, that does exist. Mm -hmm. I make that clear. I go, yes, that is. Yes, that, yes, you can feel loved like that. Just not with the Porsche in, I don't know, the Ferrari or whatever. I'm trying to think of these latest ones with those cars coming up and then they cancel all these appointments and, and book you an entire amusement park. Yes, that may probably never happen, but that is why we watch it. Because why would you want to watch something so realistically humdrum that you see in your own life? K-dramas have to still grip you in. They want the ratings. At the end of the day, I'm saying this is why it's called a drama. No, it's dramatic. And no, those situations are unrealistic, but not themes and not the stories of the characters, you know, and seeing them miserable, but turn happy. That's all real life. That all is realistic. So that's what I, I tend to say to folks, because I get those questions. And then I'll get questions like, how do you know when you're addicted? Okay. <laughs> I go, you asking me means you know you are. I'll say that going. So clearly, you know, there's some sort of issue. Go with that. And if you feel like, honestly, you're letting responsibilities slip, you're not doing well at your job. You are consumed with watching it, um, almost like there's like a substance, right? It's still an addiction. And you start dropping, yeah, the things that you normally need to get done. I would say that is an addiction and you need to understand to pull back. And, you know, so, and so far I haven't seen any people going, I'm really having problems. They'll just have to take my word for it because yeah. I'm not their personal therapist, right. you know? No, those are good, helpful things to think about. And then you went to Korea where you kind of got Ooh. to like marry this, work you've been doing with actually going to certain sites like yeah. how was that that's like amazing. oh thank you so much for asking me yes um i'm so glad we're having this conversation korea like i said i and i know that i shared this a couple times i was privileged to go fairly often i would say like every other summer not everybody can do that growing up but i would but i never never appreciated it like i did this summer of course i would go and go oh korea that's cool we can eat good food i always mm -hmm. did appreciate the food but when you're in Korea and every summer I would go because school, school breaks are in the summer. It is so hot in Korea. Let me tell you, you know how hot Korea is? Seoul is congested and they don't, they do blast the AC a little bit more now. But growing up, I was like, where's the AC? It wasn't like the US where AC was abundant. So I didn't appreciate just some of the uncomfortability of Korea growing up. 10 years ago, I went and of course had a marvelous time. So I bring that trip up. But I was also 10 years ago, had to start my private practice. And I was raising four young kids at the time. So they were, I don't know, I think 10 and under. So you're kind of in that mess of motherhood. Right. So I was much more preoccupied with my kids and my family and all the fun stuff for them 10 years ago. Now, fast forward 10 years where I started my private practice, launched Nunas Nunchi. Everything this time around was about Jeannie Chang, the therapist, Jeannie Chang, the second generation Korean American 
So I saw Korea in a completely different light this time. And my kids were older. I only took two kids. Sorry to older kids. They couldn't go there working. But I took two younger kids that were in high school. So of course they were self-sufficient. I didn't have to like chengyo, the Korean word, chengyo too much. I was like, you grab your own stuff. Let's go. Um, So we were able to go to these K-drama sites. By the way, they're not easy to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Because some of them were remote and you had to really make sure you get the cross street. And there are a couple of times, yes, we got lost. And then my husband and my, my, my sister, who obviously are also K-drama fans are like, we're lost. I was like, okay, yeah, we are. Um, Let's figure this out. So it took some effort to go to them, but it really meant a lot to see some of my favorite K-drama sites like Hometown Cha 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 yeah. and Goblin because I have felt such an affinity and so did all my followers. They're like, oh my gosh, you saw that. You see a K-drama, you get attached. So that was important for my mental health. At the end of the day, I'm going to tie this trip back to my own well-being. It was a true vacation, which is good for your mental health. I didn't check emails. I didn't sit there responding to people. No, I had a vacation responder on and I used it for the first time in several years. But I also got to delve deep into my culture that was always there, but I just never fully engrossed myself in it. And this time I did. And so that was a blessing, mm-hmm. you know? And then it, I, will, I will say this, because you're going to see it on my new Nazunchi. I'm sharing all about it because it's good for me. At the end of the day, people are like, I know they love it because they're like, yeah, oh, they love it. But, <laughs> But I'm sharing it for me because I'm remembering this fondness and, and bonding with my family going, hey, kids, here's Namsan Tower. And then even my son will go, oh, yeah, you know, boys over flowers. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you trained them well. <laughs> I did train them well, but they, they, they're iconic to them too. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, I love how it really, it, like, because when I saw it, I'm like, oh, wow, she's able to, like, combine her work with it but it really isn't work because it's your passion too you were able to create those boundaries and even as you post it's like everyone's taking it in because they they need to know where to go or what to do but then but it's also for your for your like memory book so oh it's for my memory books and um i'll be honest this this and the followers are going to hear this i did not do this for the followers i did it for me you guys enjoyed it too but i wouldn't go to these remote places that in 105 degree heat for all y'all no i'm kidding i, I love you guys it's really <laughs> for jimmy chang that went i want to see this remote place in pohong and i'm gonna go and pohong was actually probably the most difficult one because it's a remote town right i mean it's a small seaside town it really is it's become a city but not a lot of people go there except for hometown Cha 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 fans, really. And when, when the Camellia Blooms fans, right, that was a, that they had those sites there, but it took some time and energy in the hundred degree heat to go. Mm-hmm. And I had to force my husband and he was actually really good about it. He's like, this is in the boondocks. I was like, yeah, it is. But then you saw the houses and you're like, see, we see Hong Banjan's house. Mm-hmm. This is amazing, but it was hard. It was it was not easy to get to, and I knew that I really wanted to for me. And I love that your husband is also a K drama fan, so they can you guys can do it together and get all like um, giggly about it together. So that's really oh, cool. like I guess, uh, one fact about my yes, I will say that is a blessing I could share with my husband to the point that he's rewatching right now. I'm just saying this. I know it's gonna even he's still watching it um, now. He's watching the Inheritors heirs. Rewatching it on his own. I'm like, you're watching Emi No and Kim Woo-bin and Park Shin-e and Park Shin-e crying. Old school, yeah. High school stuff. But he's like, yeah, no, it's comforting. And I'm like, you know what? That's proving my thing about mental health then. You know, with his own work being stressful, he's like, I'm just putting on, you know, I don't even know what, what is in Korean, but he's watching The Inheritors again. And I think it's funny. 
I think that's really interesting, just like a takeaway. So my husband is half Korean, but he doesn't really, he's not interested in dramas and things like that. But growing up, Korean dramas was a family thing for me, right? We we rent it with the VHS and it's like, it's kind of like all together and you do all these things. It's like a very big emotional part within collectiveness as well. So when it was just me and him, I was like, oh, I don't want to watch it by myself. But then when I, so I like, I took a break for a few years. And then when I started watching again, like all these emotions came out and I was like oh no this is like really helpful for just me even if like I don't have someone else watching it with me so that's it was like helpful to know even that break away from it was like Mm -hmm. something that my emotions was missing in a way or I don't know if that makes sense I love how you said that it does make sense it was something that um and again I tell people you do not need to be Korean right to really connect with the k-drama but I took a break from k-dramas too I was super busy with raising kids and then grad school. So I think it was like a good eight year break, mm. seven, eight year break. That's a long time. I think yeah. maybe a little less than that because I do remember watching Whole House in between that. Uh-huh. But either way, I took a break too. And that's fine. It just happened to be my season of life. So I right. tell people it's okay to take a break. In fact, that's what happens. And I didn't choose that. It just happened. Yeah. You know? Something else I wanted to talk about in one of your recent posts was about the anti-Asian racism that you didn't experience in Korea and like the feeling of Pyeonghae and just like not having to worry about that. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, what what that means in terms of the work you've been doing since the pandemic and how that was a relief or reprieve for you. Yeah, I did not know that's what it was when I was in Korea. It's not like I went, oh, I'm not experiencing anti-Asian racism in Korea. No, no, no. It wasn't even a thought in Korea. I was just having fun and noticing other nuances, which I can talk about. But it's the minute I got back to the U.S. and technically my home state, and my home state is a very warm, friendly place in North Carolina, but that's when it clicked. And so I want to make that clear. It was like, not the whole time I was in Korea. It's not like I was saying there's no anti-Asian hate or racism. No, it's when I came back to the U.S. that it was Mm. very poignantly obvious that that was part of my life growing up. It has been, right? I mean, it's not like, it's not always hate. It's not always racist, but there's microaggressions, right? Yeah. That we're, we have this like defense mechanism. I have it and I put it up immediately when I arrived. And that's what I, that's when I realized I wrote that down actually in my phone. I want to share this because that's what I appreciated the most <laughs> in Korea that I wasn't stared at or just like, hmm, you speak English? I mean, I even got that the other day going, what do you mean? Do I speak English? I just spoke English. <laughs> I said it like that. They're like, oh yeah, so right. I was oh like, oh my, my gosh. gosh, yeah. You still get little comments like that, but again, they're not. Especially the person that said it was not meant to be um, spiteful or mean, but you still get that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get that there. Now you get something else. You get. I'll, I'll talk about what you get in Korea, but not anti-Asian racism. So that's why I shared it. And that, just so you know, that has been so much of my work since 2020 because of COVID right? We had COVID started. We, I worked with a lot of folks that were bullied for being Asian because they thought this is when they're like, oh, the China virus. And I'm not going to go too much into it, but it became, it came from China. You guys are Chinese. We're you know, and so you get that, you get a lot of that. Then you had George Floyd that happened. And I was brought in a lot to help with crisis and everything and talking about racism. Right. And then we had the, the spike in anti-Asian hate and hate crimes. So of course that's a lot of part of my work was because I work with global organizations. So I was speaking a lot about that. And that took its toll, obviously. And that's why Korea was also great because I actually, when I said this was my first real vacation of three weeks and three years where I did not respond to folks, that meant a lot. And so, yes, that has been so much of my work that I had, and that's the word I use, reprieve. 
I had a break, but now I'm back to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm back to it and that's part of my work and that's okay. But in Korea, I didn't feel that anti-Asian racism. So I guess to wrap up your career trip, if you would have any recommendations of like top five food experiences or places to visit, but then also if you have any takeaways like you wanted to also share, if it wasn't the anti-Asian racism, like other things you might've noticed that you could share with your listeners. Yeah, so some of the some of the listeners and followers did ask me about are they anti foreigners, right? I mean, Korea can be this is a homogeneous country, so they can have that feel of even the anti blackness, right? And I asked some of my black friends there, and they they sometimes feel it, but they they can overlook that because overall they're happy to be in Korea. I'll start there. There might ex- there that does exist, right? You are a foreigner, and guess what? I'm a foreigner too, guys. I'm a Korean American. Yes, I can get along a little bit better with some folks because of the language, perhaps. But still, the way I view things is still very much U.S. So even I would introduce myself as a Wegugin. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm a foreigner. They're like, oh, okay, you just said it. But that's okay because that's how I identify. And and then and then it became more of a friendly banter. But there's a little bit of that there. And so it's good to know that. But I think you get that in any country. You know, when they're like, oh, what do you mean you just did this? Oh, Americans or like Europeans, whatever, right? Um, But then I want to say my top five food experiences, I am simple. I love street food. And even though it's super hot and we have to be careful what you eat, you can't just eat everything. You got to be careful of food spoiling. My favorite just thing is going to a tteokbokki stand, yeah. you know, right, spicy rice cake stand and eating that and I don't care. And that's my meal. And my husband loves that too. And I think that's probably the influence because it's really more him going, I don't care. I'm okay if you just give me some tteokbokki and kimbap. We, are, we want the real food. I'm talking real comfort food. I can survive on that. We did have a great experience. I'll say one of the best experiences I did have is omakase. I don't even know if I can say it right. Yeah, omakase. I think so. <laughs> you can have it here. Obviously, I know it exists here, but I had it in Korea and sushi in Korea is excellent, mm. you know? And so maybe being so close to Japan, but also the sea, it was an amazing experience, experience to the point that I was, I thought, are we going to get full on the sushi? Because it's like, it's like a one course at a time. Oh my gosh. By the 10th course, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to eat this. Okay. It's so good. It's just like, you're so full with delicacies of, at one point, I think it was like, I don't know, it was like yellowtail, whatever it was I was eating. I was like, I'm going to force myself to eat it because it's first off really good, really good. And they make it in front of you fresh, your own sushi. Like they personally make it. Here you go. Then they gave it to my husband, their own sushi. So that was a great experience. And I, and I think sushi in Korea is hands down something you need to do, but I'm very simple in that way. And then other food experiences of is the seafood that we had in the remote, when we went on this multi-city tour, yeah. we had seafood in Busan, but also on the seaside towns that hands down, you see the fish in the tank, they're pulling it out and literally cleaning it and grilling it in front of you, you know? Oh and obviously God. we were in the restaurant, but I could see that they were doing that. And I was like, we're just having fresh fish. You can't get any fresher than that. Yeah. You know? And so we... The freshness of the seafood was really cool. And because uh, we were at Chagachi, Chagachi Market. Okay. It's not, hopefully I'm saying it right. And it's a massive seafood market. It's very famous. And I posted it in the reel. And that was the freshest seafood. And I'm not like a huge like seafood person. Me too, I love but lots I'm getting stuff in my mouth as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, you're smelling the fried fish. But fried stuff in Korea is different. It's... um. I'm going to be a little biased. It's a little healthier. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Cleaner or something. Like, yeah, something. It's not like basted in oil and everything. It's like you get it because they have to fry because it it's the way the fish is. But then you get tongue, which is like, you know, melon tongue, seafood tongue, mm-hmm. which is that stew or soup that they put in this fresh crab and seafood. So I don't normally eat that so rich in fish here. But there I was like craving it going, give it to me because I know you just got it from the sea. 
and you're making that. So those experiences were great. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say this. I don't need elaborate Korean food. I'm all about the dives in Korea that we knew were good. Famous kalguksu that we had looked like a dive. I mean, it wasn't like elaborate, but it was Michelin star kalguksu. This is noodles. We went to in Yeongdong, right by our hotel. That was so good. I can, I'm salivating thinking about that because homemade noodles and the broth. I'm just good with it being the home cooked meals that you're literally getting at a restaurant, but it's like home cooked. So I miss that. I miss the kimbap. I would walk across the street and just get this kimbap that people might have in LA, but you don't just walk across the street in LA. You can in Seoul. But in, in, yeah, in Seoul, it was like, let me tell you, 3,000 won, won. So let me translate that. 3,500 won in US dollars is like 275. $2.75 for a roll of kimbap that you see them doing right in yeah. front of you. Okay. And you're like, Oh, salivating and you get it instantly. So I'll end on that note. The other thing about the food, the efficiency of Korea. Yes. I mean, particularly in Seoul, right? Because I'm sitting there going, if it's over like five minutes late, we're like, why is it taking five minutes? <laughs> this sounds obnoxious. You're so used to things coming so quickly that if food takes even longer than that, you're like, why? Why, why are they taking so long? And I'm laughing about that. But the efficiency of service, now you don't get necessarily customer service. I'm going to be real. They focus on efficiency, fast, quick. It is excellent that no wonder you get a little impatient if it goes over five minutes because you you pay through a kiosk. Boom. You don't have to talk to anybody. And then the food comes right out and you're like, thanks. So you save a lot of time in yeah. that sense. And that's a great experience of Korea, I think. Because I'm impatient. No. <laughs> I, just, I also think when you're hungry, you want your food. Yeah. So in Korea, we'll give it to you like that. Mm. Uh, I also haven't been to Korea in 10 years. So I like really hope I can go soon as well. And I'm really excited. Um, so thank I you for you sharing your Korea experience. Let me know when you go. We'll go together. Yeah. <laughs> I saw you say, who wants to go 2023? I was like, oh, I'm me. Mm, yes, we're going to talk about that. Yep. Uh, I'm serious. Yes. Okay. This has been such an amazing experience to talk to you. I did want to bring it back to your primary identity as a mom and as a wife and asking, wondering, like, you know, growing up with that pressure, how are you able to parent from what the breaking of the cycle type of thing, but also still instilling values that are important to you, but also, I guess, like parenting tips. I don't know how to. Yeah, parenting tips. And as a team, I guess, like with your husband, I think that's Mm -hmm. such a, I think for new parents, it's like, how do we still love our spouse well? But, but like, (laughs) we've seen, like, at least me, I've seen my parents like love us so well like we were first and I think I really love that but right like that's like that sacrifice thing that I appreciate but I also don't want to make that my priority in the sense that like marriage has to come first too yeah I'll give you the floor I'll just start with that at the end of the day family is founded first two people basically make a family that's the term in family systems as a family therapist So it's really technically, you know, man and wife or spouse or partner. That is the core of the family. And when you have kids, the core has to stay strong. And you're right. In this particularly Korean families, traditional Korean families, it is about the kids. But somewhere along the way, even the kids know that's not healthy. Hmm. When they're like, oh, mom just does all this for me. Or or they don't even talk to each other. But wow, it's all about us. That won't survive. I mean, yes, they do. They end up living that that way, but they're not happy. I'm just going to say that. So my focus as even as a family therapist is always on that parental unit, especially if you have kids or the spousal unit when you don't have kids. That's the core. And then it stems out from there. So at the end of the day, I'll say to folks, I know you're a busy parent. Yes, I'm a busy parent of four. And at some points when we're raising the young kids, it wasn't easy. Yeah, there was a lot more arguments because you're fatigued. You're like, 
I'm so sleep deprived, right? Which, uh, you know, young parents are. I have a little bit more sleep now, though the dog sometimes gets me. Right. But anyway, that's a different thing. But when the kids get older, it's a different kind of stress. It's not so much physical stress, it's more mental. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sitting there going, worrying, making sure my kids don't necessarily get in trouble in college. They do well by themselves. We're not there every day. Or a daughter who's adulting, became, literally graduated from college, was on her own. I worry about safety and just making sure she's making career decisions. That's a mental stress. So you never really get over that stress. I think I get that. Even until they, they, they get married and all that, and then they have kids, you're always going to worry about them. So I know that's there. So I tell parents, just know that that doesn't go away. Because mm. they'll be like, when does this go away? I go, hmm. <laughs> like, never. never, if you're a parent, right. So just face that. But at the end of the day, even when they're kids, and I'm proud that I, to say this, I still we still prioritize each other. We would do date nights, even if it was in the house, because you know you got to be practical and not always get a babysitter. Even when the kids were young, it was often enough when we had any time. And that's why K dramas can be a good uh, oh K dramas. Don't get me started, but the data that I know on that can enhance. I'm going to say this here: enhance your sex life. Mm, mm-hmm. Take because notes, guys. <laughs> you're watching this, or you're watching a lovey dovey like Crash Landing. Not all of them are lovey dovey, but most are. They have some sort of love angle you go oh that's cute and then you feel this affinity to your spouse or partner because you're watching with them and then it becomes this closeness so I will always emphasize and reframe that traditional Asian narrative of like it's all about the kids no it should not be all about the kids together you guys can make it about the kids as in you are one joint unit but please look at your wife please look at your husband first Mm. and that should be priority number one so I think that's how I lived and that's how I tend to do that that doesn't mean, and I think I, here's the other, at the end of the day, the kids, this is actually rooted in psychological models and theories. Your kids will feel more secure when they see you and dad close yeah. or you and mom close. They need that security. I know some people go, really? They, they're going to be okay that we go on date nights? I go, they might complain going, mommy and daddy, where are you going? Yeah. Which I've heard. And then you just simply say, oh, we're going on a date. We, we're going to have fun. You guys will have fun too with the babysitter and all that stuff they will sense that happiness and go, oh, so that's what's supposed to, yeah, okay, I get that. They are our parents. Trust me, your kids need to see the parents happy, comfortable. And I, I sense even my adult kids now, they're all grown. I mean, they're older that when we get in a little argument, I sense a little tension from them. Mm. They're like, oh, what are, they, what, are they, what are they arguing about? Even if it's about them, they're like uncomfortable. So kids need that security. Yeah. And that's super important for a family. Now, not all families are blessed with having one unit. We, I understand that. And working as a therapist, I know that there are divorces and blended families, but at the end of the day, even with divorce, you try to work it out as best as you can to protect your ex-spouse and not go, yeah, your dad sucks. Does mm, that make sense? Yeah. I go, I know they might've done some sucky things, but at the end of the day, to say that to your kids when it's their own father or mother is very harmful for the kid. And don't you want your kids to grow up to have loving relationships and a loving you know, long-term commitment, whether it's marriage or whatever, that is so important that you model that early on. Mm. That's the core. And and yeah, and I think I've said this before, but me doing Nunas Nunchi, me doing my work, even as a corporate speaker, I'm rooted in my family. Even my upbringing, as sometimes stressful as it was, that's part of me. I bring all of that into my speaking, into my roles. And then the other thing I'll just share as in all honesty, as a second generation, which I technically would be called first generation maybe, mm. but as a second generation Korean American, I struggle each day to not sound like my parents to my kids. Like, oh, you got a 90? Why isn't it a 95? I mean, I'm just being honest. <laughs> yeah. There are a couple of times, yeah, I said that growing up. And then I see my husband who's seen watching me from the outside give me a look like a glare going, did you just hear what you said? And I'll be like, what I say? You know, because I don't know that I'm saying that. And then I'll be right. like, oh, 
but the difference between me and my parents and nothing against my parents is that I'm more self-aware. Yeah. Ooh, I just, oh my gosh. When my parents said, yeah, why didn't you get an A and not an A minus? You know? How many of us can relate to that, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. And if you brought home a B, forget that. No, I'm kidding. Now I'm just like, okay, I get that. Calculus is hard. Mm -hmm. Or I'll be like, yeah, are you stressed? Now I actually even say things like, you seem stressed to your own kid. I encourage parents to use those words where mental health is not stigmatized in your own home that you can say things like, yeah, I heard that this happened in your school because, you know, bad things happen in schools like suicides or fights or gun thing, shootings, bring it up. It will, hands down, it's helping your kids to bring it up of something that they're exposed to. We got to bring up the reality of life. And so I'll bring those things up and I'll even say point blank going, you look stressed, you look upset. And they're like, no, I'm not. I'm like, yes, you are. Like I'm like arguing with them going, you know what though? I'm not going to be like my parents and be like, I'm going to ignore that. No, I'm going to bring it up mm-hmm. to talk about things. And then you want your kids to feel like they can talk to you. They might tell you things that you do not want to hear. Trust me. It happens all the time. For me, I'm like, did I just hear that? And I'll kind of have to bite my tongue on certain things, but I do want them to share with me at the end of the day. Yeah. Your kids need you no matter how old they are to have that. So that's one of the struggles I have right now. I can't go to my parents always because we still have that immigrant distance where I'm like, hey, mom, dad. Let me tell you about how stressed I am. It's just not the same with them, but I can change the cycle with my kids and so on. I also love that you self-identify yourself as a second generation, even if the technicalities or I think that's really important how you are able to have that self-awareness and then continue to declare on yourself what what you believe. So that's really cool. A great takeaway. Okay. This is a question I ask all my guests, but if you were a fruit, (laughs) what would you choose to best describe you? That is a tough one, right? Because first of all, I love all types of fruit, but I'm going to go with the Korean grape. Hold on. Like, you know, that dark purplish blue. And obviously it's seasonal, but let me explain why. First of all, Korean grape tastes so uniquely different than the American grape. I think it's actually like, in fact, when I taste the podo, you know, Korean flavor in Korea, like the popsicles, it's like Korean flavor grape. It's so yummy. Yeah. And it's so different. And um, so I thought of that because I go, I feel like I'm unique. I want to say I'm unique. I want to be uniquely flavored. And it's seasonal. It doesn't mean I'm seasonal. But I mean, um, you when it comes out, you're so excited. Yeah. You're like, there's the purple grape in that season. And I forget what season it is. I just know when I see it at H Mart or something, I'm like, oh, I got to go get excited. it. excited, yeah. Yeah, you're excited. And then here's, here's the thing. It has some layers. You got to peel the skin. You don't eat the skin. I, I do like sucking on the skin. I'm like, this is fun. But then you, you, know, you kind of throw that out. And then it has seeds. So the cream grapes all come with seeds. So unfortunately, they're not seedless. Uh, let me know if you ever get one. But that is a pain. But I feel like it makes you work to eat it. But it, it also makes you mindfully appreciate the fruit, right. the sweet. So I'm eating it, then pulling out the seeds. But I'm like, oh, it's a lot of work, but it's so sweet. So I feel like not like I'm a lot of work, but I have some layers to me. So it's not like you just go, genie is always what you see. I'm definitely outgoing. I'm an ENFJ, right? And that achieverness. So you see, you might see that, but I want to say that I have some layers to get to the real sweet layer that you got to like, everybody has that. And so that's me for the purple grape. (laughs) For the Korean podo, hey, give me some time to get to that sweetness. You have to pick up, you have to spit out some seeds, go into it, (laughs) but that's okay because it's worth it. I love that one. I I love that. Oh, I... Now I'm craving the Korean podo. Oh my goodness. I know, right? Where is it? I don't like it. Yeah, I need to see what season it is. Yeah, I think it's spring. Okay, well, I have five questions Korean drama based. Korean drama crush. (laughs) Do you have one? 
Oh, yeah. So let's go with the male actress, uh, actors. I love Soji Sub, oh. who I got to see in Korea live in person because I went to a VIP movie premiere. Oh my so goodness, I him in person. what? Yeah. And he's exactly how he looks. Basically, every the K-drama stars I saw, Kim Teddy, <gasps> Kim Woo-win, and uh, Soji Sub look exactly like they do wow. on the Korean dramas. Lucky. Let's just say that. Very good looking. <laughs> so Soji Sub is one of them. Um, but if I had another one that I really like, I tend to have a flavor of the month. But mm-hmm. the other one is really if I have the flavor the flavor of the month, but the Kim Sono is somebody else that I, I oh, yeah, 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 person, yeah. but I didn't get to. And that's not because it's like I think he's so hot. Soju Sub I think has more of a, yeah. an appeal. Kim Sono is just somebody I've always liked, you know, as a person. So I like him. Now actress wise, I love Kong Hyo Jin. Yes. Mm-hmm. And again, not necessarily this ethereal beauty, but it's like she's such a good actress yeah. and I love all her K dramas. They turn to gold. And she's a great actress, so I would love to meet her and just know that she's like five, eight and a half or something. Yeah. I want to see that height in person because I think that's super cool for a Korean woman. But there's a lot of other people that I love too. Like I love Pak Young, super cute. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I relate to her. But um, yeah, those two. Uh, favorite Korean yeah. drama. But I know you have 10, so I can plug in that post too. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. But favorite all-time. I do have a favorite all-time. Gosh, let me think. It's tied, but it kind of wavers more to this one. Favorite all time is My Mister. I watched that Ayu. one. That one was good. Yeah. I'm going to say it's people will be like, that's your favorite one because it's kind of dark and stuff. But it it's the most dramatic change when I watch it at the end. It's so hopeful and happy to me. That's my favorite. And then a very close tie or behind it is Reply 1988. Mm, that's is that mm-hmm. is that the second one that came out? Because I only no, watched the, the first one. What? I know. It's watch really all of them. I know that was but my the, Korean drama drought, and I have to go back to it. I know that's oh, the okay. Common. Watch them. No, that is the newest one that came okay, out. That's I know the latest that's, one okay, that came okay, out. Okay, okay. So start late. Start that. Watch that last. Okay. Okay. But that is my one of my all time favorites. Uh, in fact, I'll watch it sometimes when I'm bored. Like I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm cooking. Let me watch that. Um, yeah. So those two are my ultimate. But I have ten good ones overall. But those are my all time favorites. Yeah. I would say. Um, worst Korean drama. Oh my god, that's a tough one. Um, I don't really have a worst one, but I'll, I guess I'll say one that I didn't finish. Uh, my roommate is a Kumio. I oh, couldn't finish yeah. that. I wouldn't say it's worst, but I got bored. So I just stopped watching that. And there's, I know there's other ones in the past that I've stopped watching, but that's one that I can tell you right now that I thought, what is this? And I think I tolerated it anyways for like eight episodes, but I stopped at like, I think I stopped at episode 12 or something. They're like, you were so close to the end. I go, you know what though? And here's what I'll share I do not watch every K-drama just to watch them mm. because I'm Nuna's Nunchi. Yeah. I watch K-dramas that I enjoy and help my mental health so I can share it with you. Otherwise, I feel like it's in a, inauthentic for me to watch every single one. And people will say things like, have you seen this one? I'll actually point blank say, no, I have not. Mm. They're like, can you watch it? I go, no, it doesn't really interest me. <laughs> some of them do. <laughs> like Some it. of them I will go, you know what? That does interest me. I just didn't have time to watch it. I'll watch it. But some, if they don't, especially if they're heavy or not my genre, I... I don't have all this time to watch them. So I'll watch the ones I want. Mm, that's good advice. Best Korean drama to cry it all out. Like every one of them. No, okay. <laughs> that's um, true. This is a hard one. Okay. If I would just say recent one, because obviously there's many ones in the past. Well, Mr. Sunshine. Let's go with Mr. Sunshine. That's not so recent. Mr. Sunshine is actually, I will share this, the one and only K-drama, but it's not necessarily my favorite, but it's on my top 10, that I binge watched with my husband it was over Christmas break, folks. So don't think I didn't do work. Okay. Um, I wasn't working. It was Christmas break. But I will say that we didn't even feed the, feed the kids at one point. The kids were like, they were, old. they were like, it was 2018. So my kids were older, but they're like, um, we're hungry. And I'm like, okay, why? What day is it? Oh, 
yeah, when did I last feed you guys? <laughs> because we, it would, they had all oh, come God, out by yeah. then. And I just remember it was a perfect thing to binge watch on a holiday vacation. And we binge watch it in like four days or something like that, 24 episodes. But I remember crying a lot in that one. And uh, that's, that will come, I'm, I'm just going to answer what comes to mind. But that one is an emotional roller coaster. But it's also epic because it's a histor- historical drama. So it's like yeah. you're seeing things in the past. But I just remember, yeah, really being uh, torn through that. But that's one of my top 10. And last, favorite Korean drama couple. Favorite Korean drama couple. My, I'm going to say what comes to mind quickly is Master Son. Okay. Master Son. Uh-huh. Did you not see I that? I don't understand. Okay. Obviously <laughs> not because I heard the hesitation on your face. Okay. Um, and I hear it in your voice. Okay. Uh, my Master Son is Soji Sub. And Kong Hyo Jin is a 2013 drama. Oh, it's on Vicky. Oh, have Vicky. I not seen it? Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. You gotta see it. Classics, okay. They're classic. Mm-hmm. They had really good chemistry. Okay. And it was a beautiful story. But they were fun. And it's one of those that went from like, I hate you kind of thing, kind of weird, to, you know, without giving too much. But it's about Kong Hyo Jin being able to see ghosts. Oh. So that's all I'm going to say. Okay. So she's like, and you've seen some of that now, but it's a classic. Okay, I need to watch it's that also one. my top 10. Okay, yeah, yeah I think and that's I where the one. only thing I, place I've seen the title yeah. is on your reel. Yeah, I love that one. I don't even know it in Korean. I should. But Master Son, yeah, that couple. Uh, Jeannie, thank you so much. I feel like I keep wanting to ask questions, but we got to end this time. How do people find you if they are interested in just learning more about all the things you have to offer? Oh, thank you. Well, I guess first go-to would be my social media or my Instagram, Nunez Nunchi, but I'm on Nunez Nunchi on all socials. I do have a genie. I do have a Your Change provider, which is when you introduce me, that's my clinical practice. Also on Instagram, you can find me on LinkedIn. But um, but yeah, pretty much social media, I'm there and I'm pretty active. I really appreciate this time. And I thank you so much for just all the work that you're doing. And I, I feel like you're, like you said, so unique Korean podo. I'm so excited to see where Nunez Nunchi and everything else goes for you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Color Commentary. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to rate it five stars and subscribe so you never have to miss another. Go to at Kohler Commentary to comment your key takeaways and share what you want to hear about next. I would love to hear more from you on the topics you want to listen to. Thank you for being a part of this community. Bye.